Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Statman Dave Football Podcast. This is episode 51 on today. As always, it's Monday, so I'm joined by Nico Morales from Twitter. Make sure you go and follow him at Nico underscore O Morales because he's got some great insight, a bit of banter, and of course, some cracking articles. Nico, how's it going, buddy? It's going well. How about yourself, Dave? Yeah, very, very good. Had a good weekend. Watched a lot of football. Had a lot of fun. Had a party on Saturday night. Got a little bit drunk, but was drinking water in between, so the hangover was completely gone. I'd recommend water. It's great for drinking. But anyway, just a, a shout-out before we dive into the podcast from Cy Tajar from on Twitter, that's at Cy Tajar, who tweeted me, long flight to Bangalore, at Statman's Dave podcast for the day, helping me catch up with recent events with the Cheeky Nando's OK Fingers. Well, you know, thanks a lot, Cy. Cracking tweet. You know, that really, that made my weekend. I'm going to be really honest. So, you know, anyone flying around or anyone travelling, listening to the Statman Dave podcast, it's always interesting to find out where you guys are going. But anyway, let's move on to the news. Big news in Rome. In terms of Roma, Roma have been linked with Unai Emery uh, moving to the club, taking over from Spalletti, who may be, may be off in the summer. But the more interesting one is the Monchi deal has finally been confirmed. So Monchi, who's going to be leaving Sevilla at the end of the season, is going to go to Roma, which is a massive, you know, exciting proposition for Syria, but also for the people and supporters of Roma Football Club. Nico, how, how big is this in terms of the players that he's brought through at Sevilla? It's huge. I mean, we look at the success that Sevilla have garnered, you know, being the perennial club in Spain is a, is a more difficult thing than the position that perhaps Roma have put themselves in, you know, with their more recent success and their more recent, you know, rise uh, to relevance in terms of, uh, to, you know, competition in Europe, you know, their competitiveness within the Europa League and within Serie A as well. You know, it could the future could be bright uh, for Roma just uh, normally and and or without Manchi and then with the addition of Manchi with the ability that he has to sign players that nobody else seems to find especially for cut rate fees with a team that maybe perhaps isn't able to compete financially with the the likes of a Real Madrid can still compete in, in those competitions by having those top quality players and making them into to gems and stars and and you know then selling them on and making the club an even bigger profit so it's huge for Roma hopefully we see a, a resurgence of the of the great Roma sides as we as we did a, a few years ago with uh with the addition of Monchi 
Yeah, it's really interesting. Roma apparently, uh, you know, I've got friends that support them who always talk about their their young players and their, their academy that's doing very well at the moment um, in Serie A, you know, the under-19 level. So it will be really interesting to see the combination of young um, players coming through the academy, but also the signings. You know, think of if he, if uh, Monchi can pull off any any Dani Alves signings, any Rakitic signings at, Ro- at Roma. Absolutely fantastic. And again, it's good for Serie A. We talk about Napoli, we talk about Juve, we talk about Inter Milan, we talk about AC Milan with their, their new money and now obviously Roma being competitive it's going to be like Serie A is coming back up to the forefront of European football and it's so exciting uh, it's kind of like you know through through our childhood that that's the sort of the pinnacle of world football was Serie A so it's quite nice to see that sort of loop of football going back to Serie A being good again hopefully they'll start being really competitive obviously with Juve in the Champions League but we want to see some more teams in there anyway moving on to some other news um, the Standard Sport that's the London paper understanding that Carl Walker has held talks with Mauricio Pochettino to discuss his future at Tottenham hopefully Pochettino has won the game there but if they lost Carl Walker it would be a big blow considering how important he is to both their 3-4-3 but also their 4-2-3-1 with the width going forward Nico you'd quite like him at uh, Manchester City, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, I'd really like any quality fullback at Manchester City, but one of Kyle Walker, who's able to bomb up and down that right flank so well and and be an offensive option as well as a, a great defensive option, especially with the lack of pace um, being something that, that Manchester City have struggled with um, so much this season. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love a player like Danny, Danny Rose or Kyle Walker uh, or, you know, the a variety of fullbacks in, in the Premier League that have, that have been so good this season. I mean, it could be an asset to any of the sides, um, you know, any Chelsea, Manchester United or Manchester City uh, would be absolutely fantastic going forward and, and providing that whip in that final third. But it would be quite sad for Tottenham if they do start to get um, disemboweled or taken apart uh, with their stars going away. Deli Alley, of course, in fantastic form this season, but we'll talk about him in a little bit. Um, anyway, last little bit of news. Uh, San Paolo apparently is going to be Argentina manager. Nico, break the story for us. Yeah, Sampoli is uh, apparently going to be, this is according to AS, he's apparently going to be announced as the Argentinian national manager on May the 22nd, I believe. Um, you know, he's spoken multiple times about wanting to manage Messi, and obviously with the Barcelona job seemingly going to Valverde, um, he's going to get the opportunity to do that by coaching the, the Argentinian national team. And I think it's a great move for everyone involved. Sampaoli gets to leave a Sevilla side that is probably going to go down since their loss of, of Manchi, and uh, they're probably get, going to get disassembled to some extent with the the quality of players that they have uh, this summer. Um, and, and you know he gets to manage what is probably one of the greatest the greatest uh, Argentinian Argentinian sides of uh, possibly ever. Um, so look out for them in the in the 2018 World Cup. I think it's a uh, it's a great move for for everyone involved and and something that you know Sampaoli can really uh, improve upon his work that he did with uh, the Chilean national team uh, further with the with the work that he can do with the Argentinian national team. So uh, really excited to to see the brand of football that he brings to to Argentina. Argentina and the and the players that they have there could be really exciting. It'd be interesting to see Messi back in a side that's properly pressing because again he's so good at leading that. And whether he does play as a false nine or does play as maybe in a three four two one behind you know someone like Aguero or someone like Gonzalo Higuain, there's a lot of quality there. But it always has been for me for Argentina they lack that intensity that they could um, you know massively give. It's going to be interesting to see who comes through as well. Uh, you know there'll be players that we we have underrated maybe in European football that will just explode and and really perform for St. Pauli for Argentina. So yeah, again very very exciting for the FIFA World Cup in 2018. And finally, let's just touch on Manchester United, who had a fantastic weekend, beat Burnley two goals to nil. Liverpool lost two goals to one to a fantastic Sam Allardyce crystal 
Palace side and of course Manchester City lost so as a United fan it was very good but in terms of Big Sam he's made a massive impact at Palace in the last two months after going through his first eight games and only picking up one win Sam Allardyce his team has now won six games out of their last eight games with a 75% win rate but keeping only 44% possession scoring 14 goals and keeping four clean sheets an incredible job Big Sam has done Nico is your favourite pragmatic manager in world football right now? Never, ever, ever. Sam <laughs> Um he's, he's, he's done a good job in, in exposing um, some of the frailties of, of Liverpool. And, you know, this is one of the things that, that, we've, that many people have talked about is, is Liverpool's inability to, to overcome these sides that they should be beating. So good on Sam for exposing some of their frailties, especially, you know, set-piece defending and, and really defending in general. So good on <laughs> yeah, Overall um, defending, tracking yeah. runners, <laughs> dealing with movement ahead of them. You know, there's a lot of problems with Liverpool team. And I think... It's a top quality centre back or two top quality centre backs that they still miss. And again, you've got to kind of look at Jurgen Klopp. He's had the windows to, to you know, evaluate his squad, and Lovren is just not up to the standard. Matip, not you know, not been massively impressed with him. What Liverpool need is two quality centre backs, and they can start to be really you know look to win the Premier League. I think that's it. It's quite simple for Liverpool. I think they've got it going forward. I think the midfield, when all the players are fit, is is very very good. But it is just that back two centre halves that I think the real problem. Nathaniel Klein as well switching off for the um, the first goal. You know not even making an effort to really stick with Christian Benteke you've got to look at potentially his defensive work which could be uh, you know an issue as well but anyway let's move on to the first big talking point and that is the PFA player of the year that was announced last night as Angulo Kante Nika Angulo Kante this season is he your PFA player of the year He's been an excellent player for Chelsea and, and both Leicester, and I think that's one thing that people aren't really separating is that I think that that really factors into people's voting is both his work that he's that he's done with Leicester and how he helped them win the title this season, and realistically, you know how big of an impact he's been to Chelsea this season, whether they, whether they win the title or not, which I think they will. Um, but for me, I, I don't I don't know if I would qualify or, or classify him as the the best player in the Premier League. I think he's a very good player, um, but in terms of complete players, I think there are other options out there and that's something that you and I have discussed although you know it's very difficult to pin what is you know the best player in the league I think there's other standout options Cesar Espelicueta has gone it has gone uh massively you know unnoticed to the work that he's done in that Chelsea defense you know coming in from I think left fullback last season to to one of the central defenders in a in a five-back system or a three-man uh defense is really excellent and his ability to to put the ball forward in an in an accurate way and then defend so well and do so many things so well um for him not to even be in the team of the season is really a travesty so um players like him uh per- perhaps Musa Dembele has had a pretty good season as well as Christian Eriksen um Kevin De Bruyne has been pretty good I think you're going to point out that Ender Herrera has <laughs> Herrera's been excellent um Pogba hasn't had the greatest of seasons but I think in numbers he's actually doing better um than he was in his last season at Juventus so you know there are plenty of players out there and I think you know in 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 terms of what N'Golo Kante does people mistake it as as the job of defensive midfielder and he does mm-hmm. defensive work in the middle of the pitch but what separates him from other midfielders is his ability to press and win the ball in areas that's going to be beneficial for his team in, to break and I think that's what Chelsea are centered around this year they break incredibly well and that's because Angola Conte as well as Leicester last year they win the ball in areas that you you don't want to lose the ball and that's what he does so well I kind of uh, you know the first thing that you addressed the the whole the reason why Kante's won I don't think that he's been the best player in the Premier League this season for me I think there's been players that you know especially for Chelsea that have been 
better than him this season, I'd say Eden Hazard. I'd say someone like, you know, you did mention Aspilicueta has been fantastic and really underrated, but I feel that Kante should have won it last season with Leicester City. Kante, you know, should have won it. He was so crucial to that side. But unfortunately, because, you know, nobody had picked up on how important he was to that side, that he didn't get the votes and it was given to, was it uh, Mares that won it last season, I think? Yeah. Um, so it's one of those things where, because Kante, his work was just completely missed, they kind of had to give it to him this year, but I'd say he was better last season. He was better in that four four two. He was more of a core player in that four four two, more important to the side with his pressing. You know, he is massively important to, to Chelsea. He does a very good job of winning the ball and giving it. But I'd say Eden Hazard is that pinnacle of that side in terms of a in terms of making the impact and being the playmaker. When he's not out that side, he's a massive loss. Whereas Kante, um, with someone like Fabregas, could be you know moved in and out of the side. It's an interesting one, but it, for me, it's kind of because of last season. You did mention Ander Herrera. I think the man Ander Herrera has been, he, he has been the most underrated player in the Premier League this season in terms of stats at United. He's now registered the most assists at the club, won the most tackles, completed the most passes per game and of course made the most interceptions. Again, a massively underrated player in the Premier League, not from Man United fans, but from the league as a whole. And he's just been, you know, you see the job that he did on uh, Eden Hazard, but also you go to his, uh, you know, the role he played against Burnley, more of a counter-attacking, more of a creative role. He's just so, such a complete player and a fantastic talent. But I'd give it to, I'd put my vote to uh, if we're going to go for the Dave and Nico player of the year I'm going to vote for Hazard Nico who are you going to vote for if you don't vote for Hazard we've got to split the trophy in half <laughs> it's a coveted prize that I think many players compete for on a year-to-year mm, basis I they agree. say they, they 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 get up in the morning and they say you know I'm going to go train extra hard today because I need exactly the Dave and Nico award um you know it's really difficult I, I, we were having this conversation about the European player of the year which I think or best player in Europe which I think we'll talk about later mm. it, it's difficult to pinpoint one player but um I'm partial. To, um, I'm partial to say Hazard as well, mm. but I think um, there have been Tottenham players that have been excellent as well. So uh, <laughs> I, I'll just, I'll just go, I'll just go Aiden Hazard. Just good, to, good, just good. to not. I want to have to get the, the sore out and spend my entire afternoon sawing a trophy in half instead of making videos and <laughs> podcast. Nico, thanks for sticking with that. But anyway, now let's talk about the PFA Young Player, which was of course won by Deli Ali. What a season he is having in the Premier League. He's just been fantastic. 16 goals and five assists. Only Timo Werner at Leipzig has scored more goals of players under 21 in Europe's top five leagues. What a player he's been this season. Playing as sort of a second striker, he's not a Lampard. He's not someone that's starting from deeper midfield. He's usually playing close to Harry Kane or whoever's the nominal forward for Tottenham on a giving day, but he's been so good, so clinical in that penalty area. Again, showing why... He's one of the best young players in world football. Other players that deserve a mention, Lukaku, Kane, maybe Marcus Rashford, if he'd had his form of the, the last five games, he's been fantastic for Manchester United. The start of the season was uh, was finding his feet under Mourinho. I think he's now found his feet under Mourinho, found a role within the squad, and, and is becoming a real pivotal pivotal player, obviously, in the Europa League, massively um, on his performance to get United to the, the semi-finals, which for a 19-year-old is incredible. But I think it's it's got to be Ali, right, in terms of his pressing, Nico, in terms of his, his play on the ball, off the ball, he's just been fantastic. Yeah, it's a similar argument to the one uh, with Killian, Killian Mbappe in, in terms of the best uh, young player in Europe. I think we see a lot of young players in the Premier League with a lot of potential, but <laughs> Deliali is the one that's actually putting up the palpable numbers. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily always mean things. You know, people can score goals and not uh, not, not necessarily be intentional. But Deliali has been fantastic uh, in, in terms of just, you know, honorable mentions. Um, I have to I have to put in Leroy Sané and Raheem Sterling. You know they've been excellent this season, um, but Ali's been fantastic. You, you can't deny that. And I think um, it's really only between him and Lukaku and, and Harry Kane if he's still up for it um, in terms of young players of the year that that you can say you know these players have been absolutely fantastic. 
Yeah, I think it's uh, you know I do agree with the, the Sterling and, and Sane. Uh, you know they have been very good, but I think the use of from Pep Guardiola's use of both those players has been really weird. Um, but we'll touch on that a bit later on when we're talking about the FA Cup. Just strange use, but I kind of agree it's got to be Deli Ali for the PFA Player of the Year. In terms of the European awards, though, the Nico and Dave Trophy, of course, is going to Kylian Mbappe for the young player. Again, scored at the weekend against Lyon, the crucial match-winning goal, and he was so good again every single time. I think he's the best player. In European football right now, beating beating players inside the penalty area um, on the left hand side and the right hand side. Say, for example, we break the the penalty area into a bit of a box. So you've got your six yard area, and we'll class that as the central zone. Then the right and the left channel. Mbappe, honestly, in that penalty area, is the best at beating a man one v one. So good at throwing a, sh- a step over, um, dropping a shoulder, and then hitting the ball, you know, across the keeper. And again, he scored the crucial goal in the game against Leon. A brilliant performance. But this season, he's been he scored a goal every ninety one minutes in all competitions, which is absolutely incredible. There isn't any argument, is there, Nico? Best young player in Europe, carrying Monaco to the semi finals of the Champions League with, of course, Radman Falcao. Yeah, I think a lot of players, like I said, you know, they have potential, but Kylian Mbappe is performing like a top quality experience season professional. And those are the numbers that he's putting up. So in terms of uh, in terms of best young player in Europe, Kylian Mbappe by a mile. I think in terms of, you know, saying against seasonal numbers, you know, look at how many goals he scored in the knockout stage of the Champions League. He's top with Ronaldo on five goals, which is just absolutely exactly. incredible. I don't think we've ever seen... I can't remember a player that's emerged so quickly from being nothing to being something massive. You know, you think of someone like Lionel Messi, obviously the last real massive player that kind of did explode. It, it, it was, I mean, I think it was his second season. Maybe it's similar to Mbappe then. Maybe maybe that's what we need to do, Nico. We need to compare Mbappe and Lionel Messi. That could be an interesting <laughs> podcast for the summer, of course, where we've got to make content for fun because there's no football. Ah, there is football and there's the Confederations Cup and the under-21s in Europe that I'll be covering on this podcast. So stay tuned to that. But yeah, Mbappe gets the Nico and Dave prize for this season for an incredible you know, sort of debut season at Monaco under Yardim. But let's move on to the Nico and Dave best player of the season or best player of the year. It's a real difficult one. There's names, but we just, you know, we, we can't really give it to any of them. Let's first start off with Lionel Messi. Is Lionel Messi the best player in Europe this season, Nico? The thing is, folks, Dave and I spent about 30 minutes talking about this pre-record. And we've <laughs> we should got have recorded 50, that as well. <laughs> we should have. We've got about 50 names here. And I mean, there's 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 good arguments that you can make for all of them. There's good arguments that you can make for Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Lewandowski, Insigne, you know, Thiago. All these players have done incredible things. But in terms of consistency, European trophies, you know, keeping their teams in the competitions that they need to be in in order to be qualified as some of the best players, there, there's things that you can nitpick at at all of these players. And I think uh, is Lionel Messi the the best player in Europe? Probably, but are people gonna gonna dispute that because they're no longer in the Champions League? They have a very slim chance of winning La Liga, maybe a better chance after winning the El Clasico this weekend. But still, you know, it's it's not a guaranteed thing, uh, and really no other trophies for them. Um, th- there's there's arguments for other players. So in, in terms of my personal opinion, I, I do think Lionel Messi is probably amongst the best. Um, but there are players that have been excellent, and some of those, you know, I think Thiago has been fantastic. We can't necessarily base uh, all of uh, the qualifications for the award on whether these teams are still within European competition because obviously it doesn't pivot off one player. But Thiago, I think if he was in the latter stages of the Champions League, we'd be looking at him um, 
looking at him in, in, in a much different light. Uh, Insignia and some of the some of the boys at uh, Napoli this season have been fantastic, but again, they're not competing uh, amongst the European elite. Icardi's been fantastic, but Inter are, are down there in the uh, in the Serie A table. Um, Neymar has been fantastic. You know, he's uh, he he led that comeback at, mm. at Barcelona. Um, and Ronaldo, uh, in terms of best goal scorer in Europe, I think that definitely goes to him. Um, but but we we kind of agreed that there was one player that we thought was a uh, was was amongst the best, and it, and it was a it was a left back, right, Dave? Yeah. It's, it's, again, it's really weird how Messi is the best player on the planet. That's not something that we can dis, uh, you know dispute. But I think it's in terms of the, you know the, who's been the best player of this season. It's a real difficult one, and yeah, it, it's a left back. And we've kind of gone with Marcelo just because he's been so consistent in an attacking. And defensive criteria, Marcelo is is absolutely massively ahead of his peers, and is so crucial for Real Madrid in La Liga and in the Champions League. You think of La Liga; he's got the most assists than any defender in Europe's top five leagues. But in the Champions League, you think about how pivotal he was against Bayern Munich in that second leg, in that first leg, and then you know the round before against Napoli. So crucial at going forward. So in a way, it's I also kind of- think you know some of the some of the. Some of the things that Marcelo does so well, you know, as a classic overlapping fullback, a few years ago you could have poked holes in his game and said, you know, he leaves large spaces open at the back. And I think defensively and offensively, defensively specifically, he's improved his game so much. And and he offers such an outlet in terms of that, you know, uh, front three of of BBC um, going forward. So, you know, like you mentioned, he has the most assist, but but also defensively, I think he's really short up his game and not leaving space behind at the wrong times and covering up that space when he needs to go back. So he, he has to be one of the best players in, in Europe this season, if not the best. Yeah, yeah, I think I think we're going to give it to him right now. But again, it's silly to do awards before the end of the season because you don't know who's going to win the Champions League. You don't know who's going to win the Premier League and so forth. Obviously, the Premier League is probably done with Chelsea, but the Champions League is still open. You know, Ronaldo, who scored five goals in the knockout stages of the Champions League, if he scores um, another three or another four, gets Real to the final, wins the final, you know, he's going to be the best player in Europe. But right now, I think Marcelo is the best player in Europe this season. He's been so, so, so good. Um, both in the Champions League and La Liga as well. Mbappe could be the best player in Europe if he scores the goals in the Champions League. I think this is the thing. We make these conclusions now, we give the awards out now, but maybe at the end of the season, Nico, we're going to have to do another awards ceremony. We're going to have to spend more money on a trophy to send to Marcelo. <laughs> yeah, the more Nico, Nico and Dave trophies. It has our faces on it, so yeah. it's essentially it's essentially worth its weight in gold. So. Exactly. Well, they are made out of solid gold, so they are worth quite a bit of money. So maybe we should get them to send them back every year. Uh, yeah, you know, maybe write the name that. on. Let them, you know, let them take a picture of the trophy and send it back, and then obviously we can keep going and not lose too much money. But this moves us nicely on to the Clasico, of course. Marcelo's side, Real Madrid. Losing 3-2 to Barcelona. I think first up, let's talk about Casemiro because he's a bit of a, a hated figure on social media. I laud him as a, the champion, the most important player in this Real Madrid team, uh, apart from Marcelo in a defensive sense. But other people are getting on his back a bit. You know, they're saying, oh, he should have been sent off against Bayern Munich. He should have been sent off against Barcelona. What do you think, Nico? Should he have stayed on the pitch in those two games? Uh, probably not in the Bayern Munich tie, but I think he has more of a... <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, he has more of a case to be on the field uh, in the in El Clasico. I think he he committed a number of fouls, and that's just part of his game. Um, one of the probably tactical complications that that Zidane faced in in this game was that Casemiro was relatively isolated in the center of the field. Uh, Tony Cruz and, and Luka Modric are excellent in possession and on the ball, and really off the ball, they they have improved their defensive work rate in uh, in helping out Casemiro. But but you know a lot of the- 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The time the Brazilian was uh, left chasing shadows in terms of uh, marking Lionel Messi. And, and the, the amount of times Messi got free was not necessarily all down to Casemiro. Obviously, you need help. Um, but but he was, uh, he was left in the dust a number of times. Yeah, I think what Zidane did well. Again, going up to Zinedine Zan as a great tactician, not just um, a great man manager, was he switched uh, the roles in the second half when Casemiro was on that yellow card, so he, he got booked. Then he committed another two fouls that, for me, weren't yellow cards. And I think if you are totting up fouls to you know to get that second yellow card, I think you've at least got to be three to four fouls. So he just committed two in that first half. So for me, he shouldn't have been sent off. And then what um, Zidane did was he switched the pyramid slightly so he rotated it round so Casemiro um, from being the deepest player switched with Modric and Modric sort of did a man-to-man job on Lionel Messi who did quite well to be fair Modric uh, playing just sticking with him and then of course uh, when uh, Kovacic came on for Casemiro went to defensive midfield and then did the same role and arguably for that second goal if sorry for the winner the third goal if he'd run a little bit harder maybe Messi doesn't score um, his 500th goal um, is, you know, the goal that made him top scorer in the Clasico as well in the Liga. Do you think that was a tactical issue that the, uh, you know, the Croatian let his man go? Uh, yeah, it could have been, but I think it's one of those gray areas where it, it's the closing stages of the match, and maybe Kovacic shouldn't should have had his head on a little bit better. But I'm not going to pin it all on him, especially since I think he came on and he was pretty darn good, and he's one of the players that I think we'll see. Um, you know, elevating his his performances in European football and really be a central figure at Real Madrid. You know, he's really come into the side, and, and though he didn't he he didn't even look like he fit in that well when he first arrived at Real Madrid. He's elevated his performances. He contributes very similar to Casemiro. He cr- contributes very well, uh, yeah, in a defensive sense, and then offensively, he's he's pretty he's pretty good. And that's right from the get go. You know, that's something Casemiro had to improve upon as he spent more time within the side. Kovacic had that. Kovacic has had that. He was a uh, he was a very good offensive player at, at Inter, and uh, when they bought him, you know they knew what they were getting. So I, I think he could be in in the years coming. He could be one of the most complete central midfielders uh, in Europe. 
So that's a really interesting point. I, I'm just thinking about, obviously, in the side, he is in the B team at the moment and does come in when Casemiro's either, you know, wants to be rested or is on a booking. And it could be quite interesting to see when Modric finally does leave uh, Real Madrid, who, one of the things that they said on, I was watching this guy sports commentary and one of the things that they said was that Modric was voted as the worst signing of the whole yeah, in his, Liga. in his first year. In his first in year, his, which is in his first year. Like, Modric is one of the best sort of central midfielders that has, you know, does it, does creativity, that, guile. It's, it's mental. Does that provide hope for uh, for Andre Gomez for you? It's an interesting one. I, again, I thought Gomez did well when he came on. I think Gomez this season has been very, very poor. Hasn't looked confident, but I liked what he did. I think defensively, when Barca had the lead and they were dropping back to the back six, um, copying what Mourinho did at Manchester United, um, he did well to to block off the fullback and did a good job on on one of their assets, which is Carvajal. Did stop that, and, and he, you know did play the pass to Jordi Alba on the overlap that played the ball to Messi, who scored the goal. So for me, Andre Gomez was all right, and I'd, I'd like to see him come through this like Kovacic had a difficult spell at Real Madrid fighting for his survival and then obviously Zidane coming in and now he is this sort of second choice DM you know will be probably the first choice centre mid when Modric moves on maybe that's something that Andre Gomez can do but it's just it's something like it's like psychological that he needs someone to sit him down maybe the next guy that comes in the next man guy that comes in needs to be a good man and manager and dealing with someone like Gomez who has the talent was fantastic at the Euros was good for you, for Valencia the season before he joined Barca but just seems like he's gone into his shell and I think he could come back and I think this performance in the Clasco from the bench was good it was fine it was better than what Paco contributed unfortunately for Paco um, has to play wide when he's a striker it's a bit of a weird one but you know Barcelona signed him over keeping the likes of Sandro Munier which is don't know what they're doing at Barcelona right now. But anyway, let's just touch on Messi because, uh, you know, so crucial in the game, two goals. And I just think, tactically, it's going to be so important for the next manager to come in to, again, redefine Lionel Messi. Nico, what would you do with Messi right now? Would you bring him back to false nine? Would you put him out wide, wide right? Would you play him a bit deeper in central midfield? What would you do? I think one of the best things that you can do with this front three, since you do have to focus on different parts of it, is is really either bring Messi central as a false nine, depending on the system you play, or I think wide right is probably one of his best positions. You know, uh, the 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 season they won the Champions League under Luis Enrique, he was wide right for the majority of that. Correct. Yeah, pretty much the whole thing. It was wide right. So, so you know, I, I think especially under Pep Guardiola as well, he he's one of those players that can cut inside, and though. There are opportunities to shut him off uh, when he's a, when he's a wing player, when he's a, a wide player. You know, he has the ability to come inside. Barcelona have some of the best overlapping fullbacks in the world, or at least recently have had that. So if they can, uh, you know, reinforce that department or get some get some good players, or or just bring in some of their youth academy, which I think. Um, has been pretty good in that department. You know, they they can accentuate the best qualities of Lionel Messi. You know, one of the most difficult things, though, with the problem of Lionel Messi is that, you know, teams know he, how good he is. And so it, it's about the manager finding the best possible solution and really uh, the best way to utilize a player like him without, you, you know, uh, compromising the rest of the abilities of the rest of your team. Um, and, and though he had a fantastic performance in El Clasico, I think there's... Uh, evidence and an argument to be made that he's been under underutilized recently and I think um you know putting him wide right or putting him as a false nine with a little bit more work to do uh, uh could get the best out of Lionel Messi once again not that he hasn't been fantastic but I think even better mm, just trying to think, yeah, one thing that potentially could be tried by the next manager is playing a, a narrow diamond and playing Messi as the tip of the diamond allowing uh, Neymar 
and Suarez to play quite central, allowing them to press through the middle, freeing up some space for Messi. But again, it could be too congested. Alternatively, you play him in the Iniesta role. You know, we, people have talked about that in the past. I don't think that's the correct role for him. I'd probably go false nine if I was going to be quite honest. I'd move Suarez out wide right, or I'd sign another attacking right player um, to go there. Maybe someone like someone Lacazette. If you know, I'm not saying that Suarez is done, but he's absolutely not done. He's so top assists in um, in the whole of Europe this season. Uh, in, in the league so he's still there missed some big chances against the Classico but there were some top goalkeeping performances Nico do you think that was the best goalkeeping display we've seen from two keepers in El Clasico ever? He went back and forth and honestly um, when Claudio Bravo was there I think he outshined Ter Stegen a little bit Ter Stegen sometimes didn't make the saves that he should have and he was a little bit too uh, too frivolous with his time on the ball but he's improved massively since that and obviously that shows in this game him and him and uh, Kaylor Navas seem to be going back and forth as to who could make the better saves I mean the reaction saves and though the, the, you know there was five goals in this game the goals that were scored there, there wasn't much to be done by the goalkeepers they made the saves when they needed to make the saves and even when they didn't necessarily have any business making saves uh, especially Ter Stegen uh, you know they still made saves so um you know, really fantastic performance from both the goalkeepers. It's absolutely incredible. There was just so many good. You know, Testegen made eleven saves. This game could have been seven-seven, and Navas made six saves. It was absolutely an incredible goalkeeping display from both keepers. I think the one that really stands out. I think it was the Testegen one that was a cross from maybe Asensio, then Benzema headed from, it down. Uh... Yeah, no, that was from Marcelo. Marcelo. Marcelo down and Ter Stegen, like a superhuman with a foot save. Incredible. It's unbelievable. But I think, yeah, what a, what a performance from both keepers. Again, a little bit tactically naive from both um, managers in a way to not see out what they were doing right. I think when Barcelona had the lead, that was, I just, uh, you know, when they were 2-1 up, I, I can't believe that Real Madrid got back into that game. You know, they had the extra man, they were defending well, the shape looked fine. Obviously, the thing I tweeted out was a bit of a joke about the back six, but tactically looked very good it looked like Barcelona was set to see this game out and it was weird that they crumbled and allowed Real back in and then of course the the goal at the end with Real Madrid throwing all their players up and it being what a five on two with a Barcelona counter attack like what are you doing like where's this game gone but tactically it was a little bit um, you know there could have been some better moves there but maybe one thing obviously the Barcelona manager we don't know who's going to be there like you mentioned it maybe Valdeverde is going to come in there but that back six it looked a bit like Allegri Nico, what do you reckon? Allegri could be a great fit. I think Allegri would be a great fit anywhere he goes. But why ditch this Juventus team that I think he's going to win the yeah. Champions League with? Um, he, he's built so much there, and he does so well there. But in terms of uh, top quality replacements, <laughs> Allegri would be fantastic. And to, uh, just to speak to one of the tactical issues, I think one one thing that teams really aren't doing that well and teams that um, have dismantled Barcelona have done well is shutting off the distribution that Samuel Ntiti has. I mean, he connects the pitch so well with his passing and with his verticality and with his, you know, um, line-breaking passes that why are teams not shutting that off? Why is Real Madrid letting that happen? I think it's it's an interesting one. It's kind of like you you have to maybe assign your striker to, you know, push him a certain way, press from one side. Um, you know where he's linking to. Be interesting to see his passes and, and, and who's he's hitting, and, and then obviously trying to sh- funnel him down one way so he's, he's pushed into making a pass, a square pass to PK, or you know a pass that he doesn't want to make. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting point. It's it seems like both these managers just wanted a good game of football, and that's what we got. Obviously, Sergio Ramos red card. That was a horrible tackle. That was a real stinker, stinking tackle, and kind of put uh, definitely yeah. 
yeah. bad mask on a, on a very very good tactical game. Oh no, a very good tactical, very good game of football. It was a bit of a weird <laughs> one for Ramos, but classic Ramos getting sent off. I think he's been. Someone put a stat on Reddit which was really funny, which is like Ramos has been sent off more times in his career than Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira have, done, have managed combined. Which was I, I did a little bit of a lol about. I think it was his thirty third red card. Right? Uh, yeah, which is a lot of red cards, and he, you know, you'd think <laughs> that when he gets older that he doesn't make these rash tackles and he does mature. Like the rest of his games, massively matured. Like his ability to score from set pieces is timing of coming up the, out of the back and, and being a defensive midfielder both in a ball playing and a defensive sense in certain situations certain phases of the game but he still has this crazy red card in him which I don't think will ever go and obviously a big shout out to Asensio who I thought was brilliant what an absolute talent that Real Madrid have got on their hands but anyway let's move on to talk about the FA Cup um, with Tottenham versus Chelsea they're going to be the first discussion first up Nico we're going to talk about Pochettino's use of Son at left wing back for me it was stupid yeah, a bit of a mistake. Uh, it was a weird one um, from Pochettino. I think the idea behind it was he was trying to expose the the positional, um, I guess, uh, frailties of, of someone like Victor Moses um, with a more offensive player at left wing back. But you know, Ben Davies is good, is better defensively, and that was really the issue. That's they got behind Son so many times, and they were able to exploit that side so many times. Um, and and I think you play Ben Davies there, and you don't have as many issues. You know, although he doesn't provide the same outlet from an offensive standpoint that Son or someone like Danny Rose would. Uh, although I, I think he couldn't play because he was injured or ill or or something of the of the sort. Um, he, he's still an adequate player, and he he links that play very well. So it's disappointing to see that Pochettino doesn't trust uh, Ben Davies in that role but it's one of those things that also I think you know if it would have come off it would have looked like a genius but obviously didn't so maybe maybe the better decision would be a, a Davies or, or someone else that's a little bit more defensively sound well that's that's another thing that I think you and I were speaking about was that you know we, we've seen Pochettino I think in the past be a little bit better in these in these big games you know sort of take on a Klopp-esque uh, philosophy in a Klopp-esque performance where, you know, they could decimate the big sides of their pressing and their defensively minded philosophy, whereas now they're getting a little bit better on the ball and and we're seeing a, a few more goals in these big performances. But still, I, I think Tottenham were very unlucky to, to lose that game in the way that they did. Uh, I, th- I thought they were pretty, pretty excellent. Um, it's just Chelsea were a little bit better. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. You think about the best performances that Tottenham have. They've gone very man-to-man, very man-orientated. You think of the game against Manchester City, where Pochettino went with a, div- a diamond in, in defence and then a 4-2-3-1 in an attack that was very, very fluid um, in terms of the orientated system. They just pressed City out of the back and kind of seems like you could catch Chelsea out if you gave them the opportunity to play out of the back and try and catch them high up the pitch. But I just think Son at left wing-back, I think as a, le- a wing-back, you, it's it's classic. You need to be able to attack as well as well defend. And we saw with Son, um, you know, diving in on Moses that Moses did dive over the player, but unfortunately Son is sliding across and you know he's blocking that you know opportunity to get into the penalty area. It is a hundred percent a penalty and a very very silly move from the South Korean. I think the problem that Pochettino has was that Son's been so good in the FA Cup this season. He's the the joint top scorer and he's been directly involved in thirty two percent of Spurs' goals in, in the competition. But he kind of felt that he had to shoehorn him in. But again, maybe then you look at 
some, you know, taking someone like Eric Dyer out and playing Ben Davis at left back, you go to a four-two-three-one. Um, you look to press Chelsea centrally. You look to overload them centrally, which is another good tactic of playing Chelsea. You know, isolating the likes of Kante and Matic with you know three narrow attackers with Ali, Eriksen, and Son. It was just a really weird approach from Pochettino, who's not getting it right in the big games recently. And if Tottenham do want to push Chelsea to the end and push them to the Premier League title, he needs to start getting it right. He's got a massive game against Manchester United coming up with Mourinho having already beaten him from being just pure pragmatic at the start of the season, waiting for Tottenham to play a, a square pass and a Herrera through ball goal time. That was the only moment that United looked dangerous in that game. Unfortunately, Pochettino and Tottenham need to be a little bit more aware of these slight tactical nuances and look to expose their opponents' weaknesses as well as playing their own game. But players that, that did play well for Tottenham, of course, Christian Eriksen, who has registered more assists than any other player in Europe's top five leagues in all competitions this season. Nico, another trademark ball or two trademark balls from sort of the inside right position crosses. We've seen it before. We've seen it happen to Chelsea in the game where Spurs won two goals to nil. How do you think uh, he's evolved under Pochettino? He's sort of moved on as a playmaker. Now he's becoming a real good playmaker in terms of crossing from that wide area. Is that a big strength that he's developed recently? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, Christian Christian Eriksen's ability on the ball has always been a strength of his. I, I don't think it's necessarily something that he's improved massively upon. I think now we're just seeing it in the spotlight, especially uh, under someone like Pochettino. And, and like you mentioned, you know, that was a clear tactic from Tottenham, uh, not only not only in this game, but every time that they played Chelsea is, is Pochettino's ability to recognize the weaknesses in that defense is isolating David Luiz and Cesar Azpilicueta um, or whoever's in there with the likes of Del alley in an aerial or physical situation um and and christian erickson has has seen a, a big success in certain in terms of direct involvement uh to assist with uh, with this style of exposing um exposing chelsea in that way but we've also you know seen his uh, his improvement in in the smaller games where he's able to to pop up as a more traditional playmaker and um i think he's a real undervalued and unrecognized talent and i think also not only from an offensive aspect but also a defensive aspect he he performs very well in the system he knows how to press well he knows how to shade um and and cut off passing lanes so christian erickson is is a is a really fantastic player and, and probably should have been um up there for for player of the season yeah definitely i think if again it's one of those things if if spurs win the league at the end he'll be up there with Deli ali with kane and will be the the underrated player but it's interesting 25 years old i saw him when he was 21 i think playing at united in the europa league against ajax and there was interesting moments of the game, there were interesting passes, but it was the consistency of his performance for 90 minutes wasn't quite good enough. You know, someone like Semi de Jong massively uh, shone at Old Trafford, whereas Eriksen didn't. Now we're seeing the best of Christian Eriksen, you know, we're seeing a mature Christian Eriksen and a player that maybe, you know, someone like Barcelona could come in and go, OK, we want to get someone that's going to be able to play consistently week in, week out, playing this Iniesta role. Unfortunately, Iniesta coming to the latter stages career, Christian Eriksen could be the perfect guy for that. And it would move this Barcelona team on. They'd be slightly different with the ball um, and maybe a little bit more direct, which could work out quite nicely. I'd like to see Christian Eriksen in a Barcelona shirt one um, one day in his career. I just think he would he'd perfectly suit there. But in terms of Eden Hazard, the man that kind of won the game, big impact from the bench, a goal and an assist, a fantastic you know snapshot following the corner and then assist quite a simple little pass to Matic who cannon the ball in Chelsea are looking you know good for what do the you, this season what do you think of these uh, Chelsea substitutions because obviously I think one of the biggest criticisms of Antonio Conte in the past has been you know he comes out with a very uh, prepared and effective plan usually from the beginning of the game but if you can get him at halftime or, or get him in a position that he doesn't necessarily want to be in later in the game he hasn't been good at making 
impactful substitutions with the players on the bench. Now, in my mind, he's literally taken players that he regularly would have started and, and put them as substitutions in order to have that impact off the bench. What was your uh, what was your initial or I guess overall impression of of this usage of Eden Hazard and Diego Costa? I think it's a, it's a real interesting one. Again, apparently it's the, they had a food bug or something like that. They were they were both ill, similar to apparently Manchester United. So maybe Mourinho's got someone in the in the Chelsea backroom staff giving them a little food poisoning at the moment. But no, it's I think he's, he's an interesting one. At the start of the season, he was using Bashuai really well as an impact sub. I think that was two to three games where Chelsea needed a goal and he did that. You know, he changed it that way. But going back to your point in terms of how he's affected games, you look at the Manchester United game. Um, completely nullified by Mourinho in, in terms of substitutions. Azard was man marked. That was their main creative thought. I think that is the problem with this Chelsea C system and this the three four three that Conte's built is it's so geared to Eden Hazard. When Eden Hazard is taken out the game in terms of an attacking sense, playmaking wise, it's dead. You know they don't have a playmaker in central midfield. Um, you know Kante and Matic are very. Uh, they are very uh, aggressive and industrious central midfielders. Obviously Fabregas when he comes in can play that role but what Mourinho did was just nullify both those players nullify, nullified Hazard with uh, Herrera and then brought on Michael Carrick to deal with Fabregas centrally so it is an interesting one that potentially he will need to get better next season with his substitutions but also I think it's the quality of the bench you know we've seen all these players go in and out alone from Chelsea and maybe it'll be next season where we see the likes of Ta- uh, Tammy Abrahams who's been fantastic for Bristol City in the Championship maybe we'll see him come in and make an impact Solanke as well a player that was fantastic for the under-19s for Chelsea both um, in, on the European stage and they won back-to-back uh, you know, Champions Leagues at that level maybe we'll see him come back in maybe we'll see some more signings I think it's going to be really as well Quadrado I, I was, that was so weird Conte wanted Quadrado at Juve then had him at Chelsea and then sent him back to Juve I just it's a weird one but yeah I kind of agree with you I think it, it will be next season where uh, Conte is to, to retain the Premier League title he's going to have to make some big big changes at the right times it's going to affect these games and I think it was an easy change. I think that's what you're gearing to. It was an easy change. Bringing Costa on, bringing Hazard on, it's just bringing on your two best players to affect the game, which was made sense and gave Chelsea that extra dimension in that final third. But I think there's a little bit more that he needs to do. But anyway, let's talk about Manchester City and the issues that Pep Guardiola have. Nico, we're going to reel off some issues and how to solve them for Pep Guardiola. How does, what does he do um, for next season? Because this season, they, they potentially will win um, nothing. Well, they're going to win nothing. They're out there. Uh, Premier League title race are now out the FA Cup they're out the Champions League they're, the League Cup's gone to Manchester United they are battling for this top four position which I think they'll get I think it's going to be Liverpool who drop out they just look too inconsistent at the moment um, the first issue is the two number 10s do you think that's an issue do you think you can have De Bruyne and Silver in the same side yeah I think you definitely can I think at our chance creation best earlier this season when it was sort of the two free eights I guess is what some people would call it or you know like you said the the, the two number 10s on one side that's something that Manuel Pellegrini massively struggled with in his last season at Manchester City and something that Pep Guardiola has done very well to cope with is playing both of those players getting the best out of both of those players and I think though you know yourself and other people have made the argument that Kevin De Bruyne has been out of form quote unquote um, in, in, in recent times I don't think he's been on the best of form but I don't think he's been playing badly at all I think he, uh, he he's spoken to it in a press conference where he said that um, he feels uh, he's he's talked to Kevin uh, about what he feels is his best position in the team and, and De Bruyne doesn't care he just wants to help the team he'll adapt to any position and I think he's done that very well he's been deployed in, in a deeper role because of the uh, the lack of depth in central midfield you know yeah yeah Torrey playing so much this season speaks to how little depth we have um, in that central midfield midfield department and although he's done a very good job I think um, 
you, you know, in, in an ideal situation, we don't have Yaya Toure playing week in and week out. Um, so I, I think he's done well to to cope with that uh, selection issue. And, and going forward, I'd like to see both of them on the field operating more as they were earlier this season, you know, within that uh, the, 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 within the front five and sort of the, the two free eights within that system. Mm, yeah. I, I, I kind of think that he's got to make a decision. I kind of think that they're both really elite level number tens. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's got to go, we've got to go with De Bruyne over, over Silva, unfortunately, even though Silva is so good. It's a difficult one. I just don't think that the, the free eight concept worked at the start mm-hmm. of the season, but I think it had tactical issues, obviously with oh, leaving, for sure. the, leaving the DM isolated. And I think I think also one of the major things that that it's funny it, things have sort of worked and not worked at different points of the season for Manchester City um, when realistically it would have been fantastic if they all worked at the same time but they haven't um, and, and a lot of that comes down to I think some of the defensive issues that that Manchester City have been plagued with is you know now especially during this game if you watch the the the, the counter pressing actions and the pressing actions of Manchester City in the first half they did extremely well they didn't uh, allow Arsenal to create many chances because of their the efficiency of their counter press. I think in the beginning of the season they didn't necessarily have that concept down. When we were really pushing for the three two five and sort of the content the concept of those uh, two free eights with David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne, the pressing was all over the place. Players weren't doing it correctly. They didn't. They were either way too aggressive and 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 not letting the ball. Uh, not letting you know the the ball carrier do. Um, what he was supposed to do and, and really losing the ball in specific areas or, or just not doing it well enough and letting tired legs and, and, and laziness get, get to them and really exposing, uh, the Manchester city defense. Um, but, but now I, I think, I think the, the players are coached a little bit better. They, they understand the concept of what they need to do a little bit better. Um, so I think in, in Guardiola's second season with all these concepts coming together, I think, the, the the chance creation best of, of Pep Guardiola is what we're going to see in in the second season more consistently at least. As well, you know, the, the second issue for me is is not playing Raheem Sterling. Uh, I think yeah. City need that width, and it's something that Pep Guardiola did so well at Barca to create space for Messi, Iniesta, and Xavi was play Pedro and David Villa so wide. They almost hugged the touchline, but it was supported by attacking fullbacks. I think it's kind of dropped out of Pep Guardiola's mind, given he's played these inverted fullbacks and all this rubbish um, for this last few seasons. And I, I understand what he's going with this 3-2-5, but I kind of think that this width in this final third is what made his Barca team so great. And I think that Sterling has to be... Sterling and Sane, they've got to both be on the pitch every single game. Didn't there yeah. was an issue on that right-hand side by playing De Bruyne out there? Um, I think, you know, like I, I keep coming back to the three, two, five and sort of the front five that they played when we, when we do get the best of De Bruyne, you know, you see that classic De Bruyne cross where it's, it's sort of on the ground and bouncing and very difficult to deal with. And it sort of panders towards, uh, the, uh, (laughs) the physical size of Sergio Aguero. He's not really able to get up there in the air, but he certainly pounces upon those, uh, those ground balls and, and low crosses very well. And I think, that's sort of where you see the the best of the system and its chance creation. You know, Kevin De Bruyne operates a little bit deeper and a little bit uh, more freer, I guess, of a role um, within that number 10 slot where David Silva finds space in, in that zone 14 a little bit better when De- Kevin De Bruyne is drawing uh, defenders away from that. But he can also pivot out wide um, and switch positions with an overlapping fullback or an inverted fullback, like you said, and put those crosses in uh, from the right side very well. Um, another thing that, you know, I just want to touch on is that I think, you know, Guardiola, I don't often criticize him but I think this is one of the games that I I think he really got it wrong Um, if we're going to go 
against a, a, an Arsenal three-back system, which, which they haven't played that often, you know. I think when we were it's creating chances game. at our... Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's only the second game. Um, you know, if we're going to try to create chances against that, Arsenal came with a very structured defensive plan as to nullify what Manchester City like to do, especially in the FA Cup this season, which is, you know, they pass and move and move players around, move defensive players around in positions that they don't want to be and suck them out and, and fill that space, you know, draw the defender out and then fill that space and then pass to them and create those passing triangles. And I think that's that's one thing Arsenal did very well is that they didn't allow themselves uh, to be pushed around through that. They played an extremely low block a lot of the time and then they didn't allow themselves to be drawn out when they did address a ball carrier it was very late and they had two other players sort of like waiting in the wings uh, to stop any passing triangles and I think from a defensive aspect that's excellent but they didn't have a whole lot going forward especially in the first half and I think you saw that Um, but if we're going to go and try to create chances against that try to expose the defensive frailties of players that haven't played in wing back positions such as Nacho Monreal and Oxlade Chamberlain Leroy Sané and Raheem Sterling did that extremely well the first time we played Chelsea when we played the uh, the three two five system, like you mentioned, you know, with that width and with those two free eights. We're going with a more defensively solid four two three one, which is fine. But if we're gonna do, if we're gonna go with a defensively solid four two three one in the first half, not create as many chances, though there was a, a a rightful goal disallowed, and then in the second half, just ditch it and not counterpress well enough you know what, what's the point of going through that I think he 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 in this game he got it massively wrong and I think that's that's one of the major issues this season but um he doesn't often get it massively wrong and I think um though this season is an obvious disappointment from a Manchester City perspective I I still keep the faith that I think we're going to do great things going forward I think it's yeah it's all about the, the players and, and, and how Pep Guardiola wants to play I think he's finding it a little bit difficult to work with um and it, older players and that's kind of the problem it would suit Guardiola a little bit better if he had some like twenty-six-year-olds in there. Twenty, you know, like players like Gundogan, who's unfortunately been injured for the whole season. But again, that was Pep Guardiola's signing, so you got to kind of give him a little bit of stick for that. But I kind of agree. Uh, potentially going one v one with the wing backs did work uh, against Chelsea in an attacking sense. Defensively, there was question marks, especially about Sane's ability to cover um, Alonso pushing forward. So it, it's it's going to be a it's going to be a real interesting one to see Guardiola next season. But I agree, he did get it a little bit wrong against Arsenal. What Arsenal though did well was the three four three. You know, Wenger's jumping on the trend, um, playing uh, Ozil and Sanchez off Olivier Giroud, and that's getting the three best players into attacking positions that Arsenal can do. But more importantly, Oxley Chamberlain, right wing back, who's looked very very good, completed six out of his eight dribbles, grabbed a, a pretty good assist, which was kind of an overhit cross. Let's be honest with ourselves. But I had a good game um, in an attacking sense. Nico, do you think it's um, it's the right position for him? Uh, Oxley Chamberlain at, at wing back was was good ish in terms of his crosses. Um, I think it's a position that he can thrive in, but I think um, realistically he's a very good winger. And and Arsene Wenger hasn't always accentuated his best qualities, especially with the uh, the squad selection issues that he's consistently had. So I think in a, in a different team, maybe in a, at a Manchester City, uh, as a player that you you can just use his pace you can use his crossing ability you can use some of the positive qualities that he has more consistently um uh, you know wing back is is good but i think a, a more offensive winger or a more traditional winger is, is something that he can really shine in and and i don't think arson Wenger has done that consistently enough no it's, it's one of the things that one of the most frustrating things for me of, of Wenger over the last few seasons is not playing Oxley chamberlain as a right midfielder. I think he's good at wing-back. I think he could have used the ball a bit better. He only completed 59% of his passes against Manchester City, which is outright rubbish. 
But going forward, he was good. And that's what his strengths are. His strengths have always been carrying the ball. Why he was pushed central midfield, I never know. You, don't, you just don't want your... You know, one of the big things Ferguson did at Manchester United, told his central midfielders, you guys don't complete... You know, you don't try dribbles. We don't do that in this position of the pitch. We, we move the ball out wide and you try it out wide. You know, it's different. You know, if you dribble the ball in central midfield and you lose it, it's a dangerous area to lose it. And I think that's something Wenger has got wrong with Oxide Chamberlain. His strengths are dribbling, his strengths are his pace, his strengths is obviously whipping the ball into the penalty area. Get him out wide right. But well, right wing back, it is an interesting one. And Wenger showing that he's not a tactical dinosaur and, and you know, it's, there's still some change. So hopefully Wenger will sign a new 10 year deal at Arsenal and we can all just sit back and watch Arsenal fan TV. One last little bit. We want to talk about Danny Welbeck absolutely bamboozling the Manchester City d- defenders. Um, for the second goal how do you think Danny Welbeck did in the penalty area in that situation Nico? I think um, you know like I mentioned Arsenal's defensive strategy was excellent um, but one one area that they always threaten Manchester City and realistically any team will threaten Manchester City not only because I don't think Pep Guardiola uh, necessarily does the best defensive coaching when it comes to um, set pieces is that you know with the physicality and the age of a lot of the players that are able to compete with um, players that are going to thrive from an aerial uh, or physical situation you know Manchester City are always vulnerable in those in those um in those set pieces or aerial balls. And I think that's, that's why some of the commentators and some of the people are saying that, that Oxley Chamberlain had such a good performance because he was the one putting in the balls and it wasn't just because of that, but because Manchester city are so susceptible from physical play in the air. And I, I, you know, Danny Welbeck did well there, but it was some pretty shambolic defending from, from city. He also, Danny Welbeck missed kicked the ball and it went for his legs and he not much himself. <laughs> we won't touch on that because Danny Welbeck is a legend, a Manchester United legend. And again, doing it against Manchester City. But anyway, guys, that's been that for the Statman Day football podcast for today. Thanks again for Nico for jumping in and uh, giving you his great insight as always. If you want to go and follow him on Twitter, it's Nico underscore O Morales. Nico, what have you got coming out this week in terms of articles and in terms of things people need to be watching out for? I think um, I have either today or tomorrow, depending on when I finish it. I've rewritten it about four times, but I have uh, an, an article coming out about Allegri and his um, his new form of pragmatism. Um, in Italy and what he's done at Juventus. So be on the lookout for that. Retweet it, share it, read it, love it. Um, if you don't like it, tell me what's wrong with it, etc. Um, but yeah, look out for that. And we are going to be uh, calling that article the Allegri, the back six, right, Nico? After the great <laughs> Jose Mourinho formation. Um, that he yeah, played. of course. The the back six, the uh, the newest and best, most you know successful. Uh, defensive formation that one could put out there. Yeah, I could, you know, I think I'm going to do that when I'm, you know, when I become a manager. My back six is going to be absolutely on point. But anyway, guys, that's enough chit chat for today. Make sure you check out tomorrow's podcast and, of course, review the podcast. Write something funny. Um, you know, make me laugh. Obviously, give it a five stars though. Anyway, see you later. Bye. Bye. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.